kind of things. And uh, we're going to read, quite frankly, from the outside, one of the more boring passages in all of Scripture. <laughs> it's just the list of names from the outside. But I want us this morning to dig a little deeper, and I want us to find some things in that boring part that actually are vibrant and vital to us today. I believe there's some things we're going to find. In fact, in Second Timothy, uh, if you if if you turn there, um, we're having a little trouble connecting. Susie, can you help me? Second uh, Timothy three sixteen. Will you go there? Second Timothy three sixteen says this: All Scripture. Everybody, say it with me. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All Scripture. Do you realize this morning that there are no empty verses? JBQ man would say yes to this. Am I right, Jerry Barons? There are no empty verses. There's no empty words in Scripture. You know, the parts that we skip over, those are the parts that actually that they shouldn't be skipped over. They should be studied. In fact, where's Paula? Paula, the other day, we, the women are doing a Tuesday morning Bible study, and I came in, and I said, hey, where are you studying? They said, Leviticus, you know, the exciting book of Leviticus. You're like, most people go, Genesis, cool. Exodus, cool. Leviticus, yeah, see ya. First Samuel, you know, like we jump all the way over there. But there's actually so much nuggets, and you guys have found this to be true as well. There's no empty parts of Scripture. And Matthew, the the man who wrote this gospel, this version of, of his story in, 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 with Jesus, he's actually a doctor, okay? So he's the author, he's a doctor, and doctors by kind of virtue of their profession are very meticulous, and they keep good records, and, and we find this to be true. And, and actually, genealogies are very important to Jewish people, all right? So who you are is, in other words, if you were going to buy Jewish land, you had to prove that this was true based on all of these things. And so we find that genealogies, we're going to allow them to speak to us today, all right? And uh, one of the things that we're going to find as we read through this, that all of these names, all these people that have come before Jesus, there's actually three sections of 14 generations, right? 14, 14, and 14. And if, uh, take out your finger, do this with me. The first 14 is like the letter N, okay? The first 14 is going to be a really upward thing. We're going to talk about Abraham through David. So in Jewish history, it's going up, right? Then the next, team, next four, 14 generations, a lot of the kings, back down, like the letter N, right? And then after Babylon, captivity and all that, then the last part, up till Jesus, it goes back up again. So we find these generations go up, then they're going to go down. Then we're going to go back up. And quickly, we're going to look at all three of them this morning. The first one is this. Abraham to David. Matthew 1, Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 6. Uh, I'm just going to read it. You follow along. I think it's on the screen. Am I right? Can you go there, Seuss? Matthew chapter 1. It says this. This is the scroll of the lineage and birth of Jesus, the anointed one, the son of David and descendant of Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac who had a son named Jacob, who had a son named Judah. He and his brothers became the 12 tribes of Judah. Verse 3, Judah and Tamar had twin sons, Perez and Zerah. Perez had a son named Hezron, who had a son named Ram, who had a son named Aminadab, who had a son named Nashon, who had a son named Solomon, who, had a, who along with Rahab had a son called Boaz. Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed, who was the father of Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David, who became the son, became the king, 
Everybody said, hallelujah. Were you just inspired by that right there? Wasn't that just like jumping off the page at you? <laughs> right? But it's important. To look, these, as you'll see in that part of the genealogy, you find uh, the big names, don't we? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. David, like all these, the big names. And as we understand, some of you have, have any study in Scripture, you'll find, and even in history, that the world as we know it, and the history really as we know it, up until just the last hundred years or so, completely male-dominated society. Would you agree? You read through history, it's, it's male-dominated. And this is true during these times as well. Through the Jewish history, Males, males, males. Only males matter. And if you uh, were a husband and wife and you were having girls, nobody cared. Right? But when you had a son, oh, you know, like everybody rejoiced. Right, Sam? And uh, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) But if you look a little closer, remember what's the guy? The rest of the story, right? If you look a little closer, you'll find that in these genealogies, and in the, the next little bit too, you don't find, you, you find that they mention four women in the genealogy. Four women are mentioned in these and the following passages. I'm kind of giving you a, a head start here. Four women are going to be mentioned in these genealogies. And they're not the, the power women, you know? Like, it's not Esther, it's not Sarah or Rebecca or some of these, you know, powerful, godly women. Do you know who's mentioned in the genealogies here? So first of all, women aren't really supposed to be mentioned in the genealogy. But Matthew puts four women into the script here, if you will. Right? And two of them aren't even Jewish at all. So we find that Ruth, as some of you know the story, she was a Moabite woman. Right? And Rahab, if you remember her, she was the one that was the prostitute that threw the thing out and helped the spies when they were, when they were spying out uh, Jericho. Do you remember the story? So we find that right in the middle of this male-dominated society, God just goes, Voof, I'm going to stick four women in here. One of them's a Moabite, not even a Jew, which means to the Jewish people, they were nothing. <laughs> like Jews and Jews only, man. It was They were very... Um, well, they were kind of racist in that regard. They were just, they were the most important people. They were God's chosen. Nobody else mattered. So there's a Moabite in there. But then there's also this Gentile who, on top of that, is a prostitute when she comes into, into the whole thing. Then there's another woman called Tamar, and we just mentioned her. She actually is a double whammy. She seduces her father-in-law, uh, Judah, into having a child by her. And then there's also a, a probable rape situation where she's a victim as well. Really? God is, you know, holy and God is all this. But in the midst of it, he says, listen, in the very beginning of the Christmas story, before he ever even gets to the point where Jesus is coming into the world, his, his validity, if you will, the legality of him being the son of God and the son of man, he puts all this kind of Branches of the tree that we would probably rather hide, amen? Tamar, Rahab, and then it goes on here in a little bit, talks about Bathsheba, David and Bathsheba. You remember? David commits adultery with her, so she's an adulteress. And 
it's probable that she was in cahoots with him when David had Uriah murdered. So she is the reason, if you will, that David murdered and, and adultery and they had a child that died. I mean, just, wow, really? In fact, in some Bibles, I don't know if it's in yours or not, but in some versions of the Bible, that Bathsheba is so ill thought of that they don't even mention her by name. We did in this version. But some Bibles don't even mention Bathsheba by name. They just refer to her as Uriah's wife. Is that in your Bible? Is that what you got? Uriah's wife. Like, she's, it's such a stigma, even all this time, that they won't even mention her by name. But God, see, I think that's more of a, <laughs> a human thing than that. But God says, listen, I'm going to stick these four women in here. A couple of them aren't even from the Jewish tribe. Why? Why would God do that? In Luke's genealogy, it's not the same. Why would God do that? Remember, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for all these things. I believe that God is trying to tell us something, isn't he? Because here's my thing. When we accept Christ, we get adopted into the body, right? We've been talking about spiritual gifts and the body of Christ. When we get invited in by our, by our letting him come in and take control of our lives, I believe here with blinking lights, he's saying to us, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. You all get to be a part. You all get to play. So much so that I'm going to write your name down in the Word, and it's going to be eternal. <laughs> like you're actually in the book. There's no taking you out of the book. It doesn't matter what you've done. If I was to ask you this morning, do you have some things in your life that you would rather people not know about? How many of you would raise your hand and say, yes, I've done some really stupid things? Go ahead. Just raise them up. Right? We've done these things. And we go, oh, you know, like I'm sure Tamar had some regret, you know. I'm sure Bathsheba, after all the bad things that happened, she had some regret. Ruth, she was the other woman. She didn't have any regret. She did it awesome, by the way. So we find people that do it right. We find people that do it wrong. We find people that aren't even supposed to be in the tribe, in the tribe. And God says, listen, I'm sending my son to the world. How do you know that the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, right? And God is saying, listen, it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter where you come from. You get to be a part of what I'm doing. Anybody say amen to that? Hallelujah. So the second, seven, the second 14, which, by the way, 14 and 14, I'm sorry, 7 and 7 is 14, right? So all of this is multiples of seven. Do you know that the number seven is the number of perfection and the number of completeness? So in Christ, we find as even as we go through these genealogies, it's complete. Each generation and each certain section is complete in him. So the second part, remember the first part, Abraham through David, is an end going up. Then this next part is pretty bad. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but the next 14 generations really screw it up, all right, from David to, to Babylonian captivity, number two. So we'll just read these names really fast, all right? Matthew 1, 6 through 11. Then David and Bathsheba had a son named Solomon, who had a son named Rehoboam, who had a son named Abijah, who had a son named Asa, 
who had a son named Jehoshaphat, who had a son named Jeram, who had a son named Uzziah, hallelujah, who had a son named Jotham, who had a son named Ahaz, who had a son named Hezekiah, who had a son named Manasseh, who had a son named Amos, who had a son named Josiah. You guys memorized all this already? Okay, Number 11, verse 11. Who was the father of Jeconiah, who was during the days of Jeconiah and his brothers that Israel was taken captivity and deported to Babylon? Now, other than starting off well with David, you know, and even Solomon, you know, he wrote Proverbs and, and uh, you know, he was involved with uh, Ecclesiastes and all that stuff. But then it kind of goes downhill fast. Because the first part was all about the mercy of God. The second part here is about the judgment of God. For a thousand, at 1000 B.C., things were looking good for Israel with the King David, the height and all that. Do you know that their boundaries under King David, when we get to the top of that end, the first 14 generations, that that is the largest... Uh, boundaries that Israel has ever had. Like he had expanded this thing out. It was this huge empire. It was vastly important, vastly wealthy. Solomon comes in. He builds a temple. I mean, things are looking good. But then things begin to change. So much so that within 14 generations, the country is actually split in two. And eventually both are taken into captivity. Why did this happen? I thought God was mercy. I thought God wanted only good things for us. Well, he does. But the word that kept coming to my mind as I was studying this is choices matter. Choices matter. During these 14 generations, people turned away from God and to other things. We find that the people of God who knew better and had the law and had the prophets and had the priests, had the whole thing set up. In fact, Solomon's temple is not here any, anymore, but it was, it was stunning just to hear the description of it and their place of worship. But what happened is people began to develop a religious spirit. And this word hypocrisy began to come into the mix. People began to choose relationship, I'm sorry, religion over relationship. They began to choose just the form and the ritual thinking that was good enough. How many of you know that it's not really good enough? In fact, the prophet Amos in 4.4 says this, You bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days, for so you love to do. And he goes on to just talk about it's not enough. How many of you know that God doesn't just want our money? How many of you know that God doesn't want us just to show up on Sunday morning? He actually has a plan, man. He actually has stuff he wants us to do. How many of you were able to bless people this week? Remember last week we talked about blessing people Christmas and paying for some stuff and giving some stuff, right? You see, we're actually on this planet for a reason to expand his kingdom and to do these things. And it's not just to be religious. It's not just to show up and do our religious thing. And then one of their other problems was they developed idolatry. They began to turn to other gods instead of God's. You know, that's still a recipe for disaster in our world today, isn't it? Some people turn to a lot of other things instead of God. Even Christians turn to other things except for God. I want to challenge you, that is not God's plan for your life. To turn to other relationships or, or ease or comfort in some way. God actually wants you to get on board with what he's doing, amen? <laughs> Because here's the thing, when we allow God to be God in our lives, if we allow God to control and to lead us, we get to be a part of the end that goes up, <laughs> right? When we choose idolatry or, or uh, 
hypocrisy and these kind of things, you'll find your life begins to do this. And I know I'm speaking to some people that have experienced this before. I know I have. When I allow God to do his thing in my life, I, my life goes like this. When I begin to turn and do my own thing, man, I've seen over the years, I just, thing goes down. And so there's judgment. When people turn from God, there's judgment. And he sends prophet after prophet after prophet. You read through the scriptures, Isaiah, Jeremiah, like most of the major prophets and the minor prophets were all sent during this time to get the people back to God. <laughs> Come on, choose God. <laughs> Come on, do it. And they would just, they would implore themselves. I mean, Jeremiah is asked to do a bunch of weird things. I mean, he was running around naked for a year because God told him to get people's attention to go back to God. I'm not sure how that works. And no, God, I'm not doing that. But um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh, thank God for the new covenant. I'm in the new covenant. <laughs> I don't have to worry about that stuff. <laughs> but, you know, like God really, really wanted them back, but they just kept choosing to go their own way. And at the bottom of this 14 generations, we hit, we hit this thing, and they all get sent into captivity. But how many of you know that even in the bad times, God still has good plans for us? Amen. In fact, you know that Jeremiah 29, verse 11, many of you know this passage. Um, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you hope and a future, right, and all this stuff. Do you know that that was actually written to the Jewish people, to the Israelites, when they were in captivity? They were at the bottom of the end, and he was saying, look, I actually want this for you. I want you to come back and get to, get to the good things I had for you all along. And so we, we move into the last part of the genealogy, the last 14 uh, generations. Matthew 1, verse 12. Susie, if you'd get there. Matthew is from Babylonian captivity to, to Christ. Matthew 1, 12 says this. About the time of, the, of their captivity... Matthew 1, verse 12. About the time of their captivity in Babylon, Jeconiah had a son named Shealtiel. Yeah, that guy. Who had a son named, I love this one, Zerubbabel. Who had a son named Abiud. Who had a son named Eliakim. Who had a son named Azur. Who had a son named Zadok. Who had a son named Achim. Who had a son named El. Eliud, who had a son named Eleazar, who had a son named Matin, who had a son named Jacob, here we go, who, had, who was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is called the Anointed One. Verse 17. So from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to Babylonian captivity, 14 generations, and from the Babylonian captivity to Christ, 14 generations. I want to tell you something this morning. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. It just has been so strong in my heart lately. There's such a temptation when things aren't going exactly the way we think they should go. There's a big temptation from the enemy into our hearts to doubt God's word and to doubt his goodness and to doubt his faithfulness. Some of you remember the story from the garden. Do you remember the snake when he was tempting Eve in the garden? Do you remember what he said to Eve? Did God really say? Da, 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 da. Did he really say that? And what is that kind of question? If nothing else, than to get you to doubt the word of God, to doubt the promises, to doubt the prophecies. And I'm telling you right now, as God is my witness, 
that is probably still the number one ploy of the enemy of, of your soul. He wants to get you to doubt God. He wants, you get, he wants you to doubt the word of God. He wants you to doubt the promises that he's planted in your heart, the seeds of prophecy that he's planted in your spirit that says, God, there is something that's going to happen, and it doesn't look like it. When they were in captivity in Babylon, there was a desperation there. But there was also people like Daniel who said, you know what? I'm going after God even if it's way away from where I'm supposed to be, right? And they were faithful people. And for 14 generations, they, they waited. Abraham was promised, through you will all nations be blessed. King David, it was promised, your line will establish forever and build up your throne for all generations. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited. There was literally hundreds of years where God was completely silent. Anybody ever feel that way? You pray, and you pray, and you pray. Lately, this is the motion that I feel like that God has been speaking to me. Are you ready? You pray, and it just goes boom, and it just goes up. Um, some people call it a, a tin roof with God. Like, it just bam, bam, bam. And it just seems like nothing's happening. For hundreds of years between the second 14 generations and the, and the last 14 generations, there was hundreds of years in there where nothing was happening. The Bible says that, that it wasn't until John the Baptist comes on the scene that he was the first prophetic word of God. In fact, John the Baptist's father who goes in uh, uh, Zechariah, when he goes into the holy place and the angel comes to start the Christmas story, when, when Zechariah is told by the angel, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the forerunner for Jesus, that is the first word from heaven in almost a thousand years. How many of you think that's waiting? <laughs> but the Bible says that God knows what he's doing. Can you just say this with me? Perfect timing. God has perfect timing. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, it says this, speaking of Jesus. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. Like... <laughs> He knew that certain things had to take place, and he knew there were certain things that had to happen for the atmosphere, if you will, and history to all align. He had a perfect time picked out for Jesus to come. And I want to say to you today, God has a perfect plan for each and every one of your lives. He's got perfect timing. To us, how many of you get a little impatient with God sometimes? You ever get impatient? Come on, God, let's do this thing. You know, let's, let's get this miracle going. Let's get this thing happening. Come on. You know, I, as God, you know, God is my witness. He knows and I know and you know. Like when we first moved into this building, I thought revival was, was like a week away, man. I, I, thought, I thought this thing was going to, you know, and I'm like, wow, okay. What's up, God? And as the months and the, and the years have gone by, I'm like, I felt like that other generation we're just talking about, you know, like, hello, God, where are you? And we've had some miracles and obviously financial and some of those different things have been good. But it's, it's not what we've been promised, amen? And God is saying, listen, I've got perfect timing. 
And I need you to just trust me with it. That verse in Galatians we just read, there's a version of it that says this, at just the right time, God came through. Everybody say amen with me to that. At just the right time, God's going to come through for you. And also, there is a sense, I think, that waiting refines us, doesn't it? There's people that I've known over the years in different churches, and they've had a prophetic word that has been spoken over them. And when it doesn't happen when they think it should happen, they, they chose poorly. Instead of waiting and being faithful, they, you know, yes, God. I'm here. I want to challenge you today to be faithful because he is faithful. Amen? God is faithful. Let me give you some verses real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 1-9 says, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is, say it with me, faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the one who calls you is, say it with me, faithful, and he will do it. 1 Corinthians 10 says, no temptation, and that word temptation, actually um, a better definition of it, it includes temptation, but a better definition of it is test. No temptation or test has overtaken you except what is common to man. Remember at the beginning we talked, Micah had spoken this word over us. You know, what you're going through, don't think it's some big, huge thing. It's just part of the journey. And other people have had to go through it, and you're going through it. And I say, amen. (laughs) Because sometimes when you feel like you're not all by yourself, it encourages us, doesn't it? Oh, you went through that? Oh, cool. I can do that too then. If you can do it, I can do it kind of a thing. And I felt like God was actually saying that to us. You know what? You're not the only church that's ever struggled financially. You're not the only church that's ever not moved into your destiny in the time frame that you thought it should be. Amen? And God is saying, listen, I'm faithful and my timing is good. Right? And he says, listen, no temptation or test has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is, say it with me, faithful. And he will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. I really feel in my spirit today there are some of you that are going through a time of testing. And I just feel like this verse is for you. It's not temptation like sin or not to sin. It's not, I mean, I guess it is a sin not to trust God. But it's not like, you know, should I do this drugs or alcohol or whatever, those, you know, any kind of those things or stealing, whatever. It's not that kind of temptation. For you, the temptation is to cut and run. For you, the temptation is to say, God, I've I've had it. You're not doing what I want you to do. I'm out of here. You're not doing it in the timing. I want you to do it. I'm out of here. I've been praying for my unsaved friend over here for years, and nothing's happening. So forget it. I'm done praying for him. You know? I've been sick with this disease or some kind of thing for so long. And God, even though you say you're a healer, you're, you're not true. I forget it. I give up on the whole thing. See, the test is to stay the course even when you don't get the answer you want when you want it. Amen? And I believe this verse could be for you today. No temptation or test has overtaken you except what is common to man. It's happened before. It'll happen again. But God is faithful. Can we just say that together? God is 
faithful. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Anybody say amen with me? Why don't we stand to our feet this morning? We're going to close with a time of prayer. And uh, I, I feel like there's a, there's a test going on right now, actually. There's some, in some of our hearts and minds, there's a test going on whether you're going to not only believe the word, but believe the words of the preacher about the word of God. You know what I'm saying? Like there actually has to be a, t- a thing within us that says, I'm going to receive that word and I'm going to apply it to my situation. Amen? So I think Delma has the right idea. She is ready to receive. She's got her hands out. Why don't we all do that just for a moment today? Lord, as we, as we come to the conclusion of our time together today, I thank you, God, that you are speaking to our heart, minds and our hearts and our spirits. And even in something as seemingly dry and dusty and boring as the genealogy, we actually see life there, God. We actually see the patterns and, the, and, the, and the, the things that you have for not only the men and women of old, but God, we see in them the seeds to be planted in our own hearts, God, for faithfulness. Lord, to let the past be the past, the mistakes and the sins or the, and our family tree and all those things, God. Lord, we just place that under the blood of Jesus right now because you, by your, this very genealogy, this very genealogy is speaking to us today that there is no sin, there is no temptation, there is no failure, there is no situation in life that you can't redeem and bring into life. Lord, I thank you for the, for the women you put in this genealogy. I thank you for the men and the women that had failures and came from situations. Father, I thank you that you included them because if you still accept them, you want to accept us in the same way. So Lord, I just speak life over the lies and the reminders of failures in minds and hearts right now. Lord, let your blood and your peace cover. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus. Just allow the blood of Jesus just to cover that today. Your station in life, your choices that have been made, the, the, the things that seemingly look like failures or betrayals. Let the blood of Jesus just wash. In fact, you may just want to say, Lord, bring it, bring it. Bring it into wholeness. Bring it into fullness right now. Hallelujah. Yes, God. And Holy Spirit, I, I speak also to the, those that are being tested right now. The tested in this area of faithfulness. Lord, to receive your faithfulness, allow us to be faithful. God, allow us to be faithful in trusting your faithfulness, oh God. Lord, you have good plans and purposes and promises for us. That much is clear, abundantly clear in Scripture. And you have promises and you have prophecies that you desire to fulfill. And you're looking for people who will say yes and not give up. So Lord, I I pray right now for those that are in those situations in their own life, for our church, maybe for their job situation, for their family situation. Lord, I pray for holy tenacity right now. I speak holy tenacity over your people that they will grab hold and not let go of the goodness of God, of the faithfulness of God. Lord, of your abundance and your favor and your promises, God. They are yes and amen. And we say 
amen to your yes, oh God. In Jesus' name. And Lord, finally, as we leave this place, I pray a blessing on your people, God, that this Christmas season would not be a time of, 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 of incredible confusion or, or uh, <laughs> busyness that we lose sight of who you are and what you have for us. I speak peace and joy into your people. I speak peace and joy into every family represented here. I speak peace and joy into every listener on the podcast even now. God, I speak peace and joy into this whole community, God, that people would begin to start to be changed. And, Father, as, as the, this coming revival that you have for us, this coming uh, awakening, God, here in Gurney and in this region, Lord, even now begin to bring your supernatural love and power and let it be known not just in theory but in reality, oh, God, into each of our homes and each of our lives this Christmas. I speak that in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Bless you today.